no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what stage of life you're in, there is one thing that we all have in common, and that is time. If you learn to use your time wisely, then you have lived. There's a new time-related tool out there in the market, and to talk all about it, I'm joined by Nash Ahmed, all the way from New York. Nash, welcome, welcome, welcome. Pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you, Manoj. Thank you for having me on your program. I am so delighted. I've been waiting all week just to speak with you because I've been using your tool left, right, and center. And I must say the first time I used the tool was to fix this appointment with you. <laughs> That's how we intend it to happen. What is Undoc? Uh, so Undoc is a meeting platform. So we help you schedule your meetings, host your meetings, and then document your meetings. The key pillar that we're going to market with right now is focused on the scheduling. And we're the first company to take a completely holistic yet natural approach to scheduling. And I'll briefly tell how it works and how Manoj used it to get a meeting with me. So I am on Undock. Manoj is on Undock. He goes into his email and normally he would request times to meet with someone. Instead of having to guess and do the back and forth emails, he just hits the little button in his email. He sees some suggestions that work for him and that work for me based off of my preferences, my availability, and my scheduling behavior. And I selected one and now we're meeting and that's how it works. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I actually, when I put that little little um, symbol in my email for the schedule to pop up, I didn't expect all that to happen. Yeah. I just said, okay, let me try. And I put that and I saw the schedule pop up and I thought, whoa, I like this. Yeah, how did you even come up with this idea? So it's a long and winding road, uh, as most startup stories go. But uh, I was previously running uh, multiple companies simultaneously. And uh, at one point, I was on a phone call, and I had another call on hold, which was pretty typical. But then there was a literal line of employees waiting outside of my door, three of them. So at that point, I'm looking over, I'm saying, this is not manageable, not scalable. And there has to be some better way that exists. I'm a software guy. So I looked for any software solution that could possibly solve it. And there was nothing. There was really nothing in there to solve the problem, at least that I was having at that moment, which is my real-time availability. There's people that need uh, to answer, me to answer questions or have a meeting or have a quick phone call. And there's no scheduling system, no queue to manage that seamlessly. So I'm not wasting their time having them wait for me in various queues. And I'm also able to at least get to all the people that I need to speak with. So the initial product that we started to build for Undock connected your phone system, your conferencing system, your calendar, and then we started working on project management tools to an online portal, which would automatically tell people if you're available in that instant moment. So are you free now? Or are you busy now? Are you in a meeting? Are you on a call? Are you working on a task? Do you want to be bothered? So we were showing your real-time status in an online portal for anyone you wanted to share it with. So we built that product. We're still bringing that product to market. But as we were building that, we thought about the calendaring space. And we said, well, naturally, I mean, if we can solve this problem real-time, going into the calendaring space is a lot easier problem. The further in the future you need to meet with someone, the easier it is to schedule that meeting. 
So we jumped into the calendaring space and said, how can we apply some of the principles of the harder problem, which we call the last mile problem of real-time availability into the calendaring space? So it wasn't like, let's build a solution with a booking page or let's build a solution with a, a scheduling bot. It's let's take the real-time principles and try to make everything about scheduling synchronous instead of asynchronous and then put it where people are scheduling their meetings already. So the first deployment right now is an email. With all the tools that exist out there, even with all the calendaring tools, most meetings are still scheduled through email. So we brought this real-time, instantaneous, mutual availability extension directly into your email. Right now we're in Gmail, we're in Microsoft, and we will be coming to Superhuman and pretty much every other email client uh, that has a large enough user base in the coming months, but we're not stopping there. We're going to Slack, uh, Microsoft Teams. Uh, we're going to be on your mobile device as well, and then we also. You mean, you mean like an app? So yes, the app will be on your mobile device, and the app will contain our full meeting product. But the way we're executing the scheduling is in a mobile keyboard. So whichever application on your keyboard, I'm not sorry, on your mobile device that you're scheduling meetings with. So if somebody's texting you or if you're responding to email on your phone, you can still pull up the same widget and insert your availability. Just when you started describing your product, you said this long and winding road. <laughs> I want to hear all about it, or at least as much as you can say. I was born September 9th, 1983. No, I'm not going back that far. <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, ahead. I went to school for computer science, uh, loved technology, um, wasn't that enthralled with uh, the space at the time. So I like dabbled in music a little bit, then did some web development, then I joined a telecommunications company. I was like, okay, I'm back in tech, but I think video is the future. So in my mind, I started thinking of all these ideas for businesses, and most of them revolved around video. And uh, I just told you the brief story of how Undock came about, but I didn't start Undock and then drop everything that I was doing and say, I'm working on the startup. I was running two other businesses full-time and Undock I was spending maybe five to 10 hours per week working on. And also my college roommate was also spending some time working on that. So the first iteration of the product, which may end up being the last iteration of the product, as I mentioned, connected to your phone system, conferencing system, calendar, project management, did text messaging, and email. It was a completely full, I say was, I still use it for all those things. So I have the, the unlimited version of Undock. Uh, so we started building that, started iterating, and we discovered two really powerful things about the, the platform. We, and we broke them down into two sections. So there's time which is the section that we're delivering now. And then there's space, which is the communication aspect of it that we may or may not come back to later. I think we will, because obviously, in our opinion, there's a natural thread between how you're spending your time, now you're scheduling your time, and then the communication channels that you use to you know, meet with people or exchange messages in some way, shape, or form. So I think there's actually a seamless thread in there. And we built a... The, I, I had to go back to using Gmail in December because we decided to close off the, the public portion of our, I'm sorry, the public portion, the email portion of our application. It was requiring too many developer resources to maintain when we're not shipping it. 
And my email experience is measurably worse <laughs> now because I can no longer use my product for email. I still use it for text messaging, messaging, chat, and all this other stuff. But uh, maintaining the email component was just too much for uh, the team if we're not going to ship it just yet. So uh, we're really excited about what that could look like. But for the next two years, three years, we're focusing on building an end-to-end -end meeting solution in which if you think about meetings or if you want to have a meeting or you want to schedule a meeting or you want to prepare for a meeting or you want to host a meeting or you want to review a meeting, you're going to think about Undock. So we're trying to build something that people spend you know, 25 to 50% of their day in and around. Um, how hard was it to transition perhaps from a full-time job to a side hustle that's become a company of its own. Um, what are the kind of thoughts that run through your head? How do you prepare for this? Or do you just run on instinct? Mm, no, well, at least I, I don't. Um, so what happened for me is I've always had a, a plan in mind and I'm currently not on that plan, but I'll tell you kind of what it was. Um, Post-graduation from uh, college, um, like I said, I dabbled in music. I was doing some web design, ran a couple other small uh, businesses. But once I joined the telecommunications company and then I became part owner, my idea was, okay, let's build this business up, make it self-sustaining, move on to the next business, build the next business up, make it self-sustaining, move on to the next business. But around 2014, I got really interested in venture scale businesses. So I started... Um, reformulating a plan so I can end up in a venture scale business instead of doing multiple smaller businesses that are generating passive income. So um, this is 100%, you can go into the Wayback Machine and find out because all, all that stuff was posted online. Uh, so I have all these ideas. I had 49 domains registered um, for these different ideas. And like I said, a lot of them were revolving around video and some of the concepts I've seen come to market. Did you I say 49 domains? 49 domains, correct. I wish it was 50, but it was 49 domains I had registered for various is that Is that what they call a domain squatter? I've, I've sold some of those domains for some good money, um, but they were just ideas that I thought at some point that I may or may not want to work on. So, but what I did was I created a, a fictional um, holding company called Walderstone. And I have walderstone.com. The site is not up, but if you look at it on the way back machine, you'll see what was on there. So I listed the top 12, one, two, three, I listed the top 12 companies out of that 49. And I went as far as to make logos for them. And then for some of them, I made landing pages. So there was a, a name, a logo, a landing page for some, and a one line description of what that business would be. So I was making a hypothetical portfolio for myself. And what I did over time, and it was just the beginning of 2015, I was also in real estate at that time. And I know, I know. So in 2015, I said, okay, you're going to give yourself the year of 2015 to figure out what it is you want to do. All right. So you have all these ideas and you think some of them are, are pretty good, but you're not working on any of them. So mm. select your best ideas and take one step forward. Like give it a name, give it a logo, describe what you think it'll do. And for four of them, I made landing pages, like just a brief description, background, a little uh, form to, for people to put input their emails. And- But Nash, 
I, I do come across quite a few youngsters, uh, even people late in their life. They become an idea machine, just yep. ideas after ideas after yep. ideas. And each idea you feel will work. It's the best. It's the most unique. First of all, why does that happen? You know, 50, 60 years ago, people would think of one or two ideas and that would be it. And the second part is, how difficult was it mentally for you not to see the light of some of these ideas? Did you feel you were failing? Did you feel you were not going anywhere? How did you travel through that, that mindset? And I want to know what you were thinking and how you were planning. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yes, ideation works differently for a lot of people. Some people will get an idea and they will fixate on it. And then they'll talk about that idea for five, 10 years and saying, oh man, I wish I did this. And then, oh, now this company is out doing this. But I thought of this 10 years ago. So some people work that way. Some people are like me and they just think, oh, I see a problem or maybe not even that obvious that it's a problem. It's just something that's working. You're like, why does it work that way instead of working this way? And that's where a lot of my ideas can come from. It's either a frustrating problem or just something that, because people just get used to things working the way they are. And if it's not a major problem or inconvenience, they don't think, oh, well, there's a better way, right? So for me, coming up with all those ideas is easy. There was way more than 49. 49 was just the ones that I was excited enough about it in that moment in the late night to go register the domain and keep the domain. Um, but I, I constantly have ideas probably one or two company ideas come to me every single week. And sometimes I write them down, but now I'm kind of in the habit of like, uh, yeah, whatever, somebody else will do that. Or you know, mm. I don't know if it can be that big of a business. But the thing for me to go from ideation to action was to figure out, because there's so many ideas, some of them are valid, some of them are uh, probably not a good use of your time. The key for me was to become tactical about that. So in the beginning of 2015, I said, first of all, what are your hobbies? What are your passions? And what do you want to build as a business? So I, I did have a ton of hobbies too. So like I like eliminated like music as a profession. because so I was like, no, this is a hobby. Like I wasn't able to make money from it in the past, but this is a hobby, right? I started looking at real estate. I'm like, well, I could go into that as a profession, but I think it's more of a hobby but I love software and I love design. So that is going to be the profession. These are going to be the hobbies. I'll spend time on the hobbies because I like doing them, but I'm not going to try to make businesses out of my hobbies. I don't think that's, they say work on something you're passionate about, but if something that you deem as a hobby may not necessarily be that big business for you. It doesn't mean you abandon it, but you don't try to you know shove a square peg in a round hole here. So there's no billion dollar business, at least that I know of that I was going to make from my keyboard and my drums. You know, there was there's no billion dollar business that I was going to build in real estate. I actually made a conscious decision about real estate saying that that entire market will be disintermediated in 10 or 15 years because again, here's the, the thing that you look at when you say you see a problem or something that may not necessarily be a problem. And I am a real estate agent. Well, I don't have my license right now, so take what I say very kindly here. The value that a real estate agent provides today or even five years ago is going to continually diminish because a big part of their value is information and information is now evenly distributed and accessible, right? So the last 
piece that they can hold on to is their their institutional knowledge about the contracts and the market and all these other things. But there's going to be software that's going to help that process as well. That's why you see companies like Redfin and Open Door and all these others popping up. They're going to be the future of real estate. So the high earning real estate agent is in most markets not going to exist in 10 or 15 years. You're going to work for one of those bigger software companies. So I shoved that aside as well. So I, I thought about that problem. Now, software, video, communications, and availability, which three of my ideas were around those, I thought this is going to be here forever and it's only going to get bigger. And the people that figure it out first, like everybody understands that video is important. Everybody understands that scheduling and meetings is how work gets done. I've not yet seen anyone figure out the entire process. And I think we've done that. But anyway, just to get back to the story and how we, I did it for the entire year, I would sort the items. So there were uh, three, three across four down. So yes, there were 12 items on the page. And I would sort them by which one I felt at that time was the best. And Undock wasn't at the top of the list the whole entire time. I think it started off at number four. Right. And then it moved to number three and then two and one and then two and then one. And then it ended up at one. And then when it stayed at one for uh, a really long time, I was like, OK, this is going to be the idea I'm going to work on. So I started making uh, plans in 2016, 17 to find a way to exit out of my other business entanglement. Actually, I think I got the year wrong. It was 2016 was the year for the portfolio and all the other stuff. Cause 2017 was the year I got everything together and said, all right, I need to find a way out of these businesses so I can work on what I think can be an incredibly large business. And that's what I did in 2017, started working on about five or 10 hours per week in 2018, sorry, seven, five to 10 hours per week. And then in 2019, completely shut down my other businesses. It was not great stories behind that, but completely shut those down in 2019, started focusing on Undock, got into an accelerator in January, and now have raised, a, well, I'm not going to make the announcement on your podcast yet. But, uh, Go on, you can do it. A, we raised something, and in about a week and a half, we'll make the announcement. We're very excited about the investors that we have on and the opportunity we have to scale our business now. Fantastic. I mean, you absolutely deserve it, whatever that uh, multi-million dollars that you raised. Uh, <laughs> uh, because you come across as someone very confident, very passionate. I was trying to uh, I was trying to find that sentimental side of you, but you know, you kept coming back to action. What issues did you face initially that you thought that you felt, oh my God, I may not be able to get this product out? Uh, I'm sure everybody comes across obstacles and you may be no different either. Oh, so I I do have this permanent even keel when things are going poorly or when things are going uh, well. So there, there was a turn out, ton of turmoil that also led to me making the decision to exit my other businesses even faster. And so I'll give you the the short version of what accelerated the exit decision. So we were working on a, a project, we were assigned a project and the actual value of that project, if we were able to execute it in full over nine years was $250 million, right? So we, yes. So 
but even even in that moment, so if you want to speak to to passion and ideas, even in that moment, I was like, you know, I'll work on this for a couple of years. I'm not really excited about this project, but this will give me the opportunity to take my earnings from this project and go work on something that I'm excited on or excited about. But we got stiffed out of the payment for that contract. I won't say publicly the amount, but it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we were stiffed from. And that made running that business the next year almost impossible. So I went from you know being behind on every single bill you can imagine, you know, having to let go of some employees, um, not not a lot of them, you know, we just slimmed down tremendously. And I was able to maintain uh, the core uh, staff there throughout the following year as we were trying to restructure and rebuild from this hole. And it wasn't just a hole that the, the company was put in because I had personally invested pretty much everything I had into the business prior and into this project. It was like, okay, I put a lot of money into this company and now we have this opportunity for this project. I guess I'll just put the rest of my money into this company, right? Because it only makes sense. So I did that. And then when you just don't get paid and the person disappears off the face of the planet for, you know, the amount of money and the amount of investment that you put in there, you are sunk. You are down in the the depths there. You don't know what you can do or what you should do. And I said to myself, again, about strategizing, I was definitely very upset about it, but I said, okay, this is bad. This is really, really bad, bad for you, bad for your business. There's next to no way this is going to work out. So what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to spend the next year rehabilitating this business as much as possible. So I had to put off some other things, rehabilitating this business as much as possible, and then move on to my next venture. And in that time frame, when you say rehabilitating a business, you're trying to rescue something, you're putting all your time and all your effort into it. So I lost all of my money. I lost some friends from the situation where, number one, having to let people go, having uh, disagreements about how to proceed with the business, lost friends that way. Uh, I lost a relationship that I was in because I said, it's not time for me to have a child when I'm probably about to go through the most difficult year, uh, mentally, emotionally, financially, and time-wise. There's just doesn't make sense, so I lost that relationship. So it gets to a point where you are by yourself. Even if you don't, even if there are other people working with you, you are left in a place where you're by yourself, you're offending for yourself. And it is a dark place to be, but it's also a quiet place to be. So when you take that time and you, you're like, okay, everything is, everything has gone wrong. Everything that you work for is gone. You have two choices. You can say, all right, that happened. You can, to your point, go get a regular job, or you can dig yourself out of this hole and go do what you need to do. And that was a choice that I made. And it took almost two years. It took a year and a half to, I'm not out of that hole, but it took a year and a half to get to the point where now I have the business that I want to run and we're on an incredible uh, trajectory from that. So uh, there's a little bit more uh, personal, even though I, I know I hear myself talk, people still say that that's like, you, you didn't sound emotional when you said it, but very even keel, but it was definitely a very rough, uh, dark time and just now coming through it on the other side. You touched on two things, rehabilitating a business, but I actually want to talk about something else you said. And um, 
it's about losing friends and people that you love, people whom maybe you felt were a part of your goal, part of your vision and part of your life and they went away. So I could ask you about rehabilitating a business, but I thought, no, maybe I'll ask you about repairing a relationship. What have you learned now about relationships and repairing it when it goes wrong? Repairing is tough. I think the first thing you have to do is like patch whatever the wherever the bleed or the cut came from, which I didn't do right away either. Because again, it was a, a very... So here's, here's how it, it progressed. So we landed that project. We started working on that project. It started to appear that there were excuses being made about getting paid. So there was a little bit of nervousness around it, um, but we kept working. But then I took a trip to SpaceX and got a behind the scenes tour from someone. And I also got to be on site for a rocket launch. And that experience was just put everything in perspective for me in in two ways. Number one, uh, not one person, but there is a group of people that managed to send thousands of pounds of metal into space. And they describe it as a thousand miracles in a row or no, a million miracles in a row for that to happen. And that's why things always go often go haywire there. So in my mind, after seeing that huge operation sprawling, like on a the Vandenberg uh, air force base, just like, this is incredible. People can come together and build incredible things. So I was personally inspired in that moment. So with that personal inspiration moment, just before, just before we lose this, we didn't lose the contract. We just never got paid on this huge contract. I think that was the glimmer of hope that I needed to get through to the next moment. So when things started to go awry and you had to start letting people go and even before letting people go, just partnerships falling apart and losing friends over that. And the, I actually had the feeling it was perpetual. So one person would say, Hey, Nash, sorry, can't stick around here. Or another person would say, Hey, Nash, this is all your fault. I'm out of here. Another person would say, Hey, Nash, uh, I need, I need to know that we'll be able to do more work or you'll be able to pay me more or I have to go find something else. And you you keep having those conversations over and over again. It is draining and it, it, it in aggregate, it feels like total abandonment is what that feels like. So you have to first as a person deal with that as your, uh, by yourself before you attempt to like repair and patch. So there was three or four months after that whole debacle. And I decided to just shut it down entirely that I wasn't doing any healing, I wasn't doing any repairing, and I wasn't reaching out to the people to like close the loop, so to speak. Um, Why was that again? Was that anger or was that you just felt they let you down or you just didn't know how to go about doing it? It definitely wasn't anger. I don't think any of them let me down. Many of them like were put up with a lot to get through the time that we did get through. So it was very appreciative of them there. I guess it's mostly, I haven't actually thought about it in retrospect, but probably on my side, it's mostly I understood why each and every person that chose to walk away, walked away. And by having the understanding of that, that means a lot of, even if like I'm not at fault for 
all the situation. I'm personally responsible for it. I was running the business and whatnot. So I'm at fault for a lot of it. But even if it's not my direct doing, like I didn't not pay my $500,000 or whatever contract, I, the person that let them down, right? So it wasn't the other way around. So I, even though I had to see everybody walk away, they weren't letting me down. I had let them down for them to get to that point. Even like my girlfriend at the time, like she, she didn't let me down. I let her down. So, you know, just thinking about that and then, you know, coming to a reconciliation and having to have the conversation to say like, well, it won't go into like the personal one, but maybe the business one, you know, say, Hey, sorry, things didn't work out. If there's anything I can do to help you, any referrals I can give, I can give you a little bit of work here at this other company doing this or doing that. And, you know, once I, I move on to this next thing and I know it's going to take some time and it's going to be big, I will not forget the time that you spent, even though it's ending now, I will not forget the time that you spent making this or attempting to resuscitate uh, this business or this situation. So it just took me some time to get to the point to know that I had to say that, even though from the get go, as it's happening, I know like that's what needed to happen, but it took me time to do that. And I have every single person, let me not say every single person, the people that stuck with me. So there were people that fled right away and the people that stuck with me and then later fled every single one of those I keep in contact with. I'll poke in every month or every two months and have a conversation with them, not just about what happened back then, but just you know, checking in and we're friendly. So those, those have been repaired. The people at the, the top of the situation, which I will say fled immediately, there's, there's still no healing or reconciliation there, but I have no, no ill will about any of that at this time, although when people hear the actual stories and what happened, they say, you are entirely, entirely too forgiving. But I don't feel like holding any sort of anger or resentment benefits me in any way, shape or form. And I'm not saying that as like this platitude, that's actually how I feel. Holding anger or resentment for anything that anyone has done to you only makes your situation worse. It only makes you feel worse. It doesn't make you a better person in any way, shape or form. So I always just let it go. Somebody does something, I let it go. I may not be friends with them anymore. I may not take their call or respond to them. Um, I would say, wish you well. I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm moving on. So that's how I feel about that. Fantastic. I learned quite a bit there, um, especially about anger grudge and resentment and and how harmful it is to oneself you know it's it's so important to let them let them go and i think one of the best way to handle these things is to think you know i deserve what i get yeah and now that i'm in this situation or i've gotten out of the situation it could have been a lot worse but i've learned so much from it now that brings me to the next question they say there are three things that makes a company or an initiative or a team successful and that is process, technology, and people. You spoke about people. What about process and technology? What have you understood about these two aspects of your life? So I'll, I'll speak to uh, people a little bit too, because I just had an all hands with my team. And the focus of that all hands was, you know, everybody that's joined us right now is making a couple of uh, sacrifices and opportunity cost. You know, they're spending a lot of time working on the business and we're, you know, paying startup wages and whatnot. So there's that opportunity cost, but the, uh, the center of that meeting is about everyone finding their, their 
center of excellence or their, their star power. Um, so for me, you build an excellent business and this, I'll, I'll make it short. Essentially, I was saying that we're, we're 10 people in a room right now and we're trying to build a billion dollar business. There are companies out there with hundreds of people that have not built a billion dollar business. And the only way we're going to get there is by everyone being excellent at something. I hired you because I have belief in you in some way, shape or form. That doesn't mean that everyone has found their excellence yet. And we need to spend individually and collectively a ton of time over the next three or four months. And I'll like, I'll say I'll pay for education, learning, whatever it is you want to study and become excellent, like find something that you're passionate about and then want to be excellent. You want to be the world-class person in X and I will help you and support you getting there because that will ultimately contribute to the company there. So that's the, the people side of it. From the technology perspective, I think I have this unique positioning as the CEO and also the, the product person right now that I am, I do have a technological background. So I have a general understanding of how things work and how things can work. And I can formulate solutions to problems in my head that other person might say, well, can it do this? Or would it be able to do this? Or would it be able to do that? I engineer solutions in my head all the time, take it to my devs. And they're like, well, how would you do this? And I say, well, if you put this here and look at this here, and this is in the DOM here, take that there, do that there. They're like, oh, okay, great. So that whole process of where a designer and a product person and an engineer have to like come together and like figure things out. And they may not always come to the best solution. Not saying that I always come to the best solution. I have that entire process happening in my own head there. So I think technologically, we, we've already filed one patent. We have two more patents coming. And I think there's going to be a lot more there. So I think I just have the unique background as the, the product person and the person setting the direction for the company. This person with an extremely technical background. I still debug today. So like we have bugs. I'm like, and this is, there'll be, there'll be a, like you can have whatever bug you can have. And I'll say, Hey, engineer, have you checked this and that? And like, I don't think it's that. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's there. Go check that out. So being able to do that from the top is huge. And then also like, again, being able to in the abstract, figure out a solution to a problem and have your engineers go build it is just going to make our time to live uh, meaning from solving the problem to actually being engineered as a solution much shorter than uh, most companies. That's why we've been able to build a ton of tech um, already. And I also still do a lot of the front end work myself and I do all of the design myself. So I think we do definitely have a, a technological uh, advantage. So as much as I spoke to that technological advantage, the last part you asked about was process. And I struggle with process. Why, Nash? Why? You got for, everything sorted. No, no. For for two. So individually, yes, with myself, I process, not a problem, not a problem. I've been in the productivity space when I got my first, I don't know, I was, used to do it in Notepad. I like sort out my day every single day in Notepad. And then I moved to Excel and I like color coded everything. Like I can keep myself perfectly organized and I move through uh, operations and process and procedure a machine sort of like I, I do the bookkeeping and everything. And I do it. So I do it 
three times as fast as our bookkeeper can actually do it. I'll have like 27 tabs open at once and I'll start a transaction in one, click the save button while that's saving because it takes five or six seconds to save. I've already moved on to the next tab doing that transaction, like process, procedure, executing, putting things in order. Like that's what I do well by myself. I am very poor at delegating. And it's not because I don't want to give up responsibility for something. It's that I'm, I, I, I'm not the greatest communicator in the human form. So that's even that sounds bad. There's a perfect example of it. I, I just said I'm not the greatest communicator in human form. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm not the greatest communicator. And I also, just from the way I work and the way I think, repeating myself is something that feels like pulling teeth for me. So I actually literally, there's very few things that I don't like repeating myself is one of them. Cause I'm like, all right, I said this, we're on to the next thing already. And I said this, 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 this. And then when I come back in two months or three months, like I'd expect it just to be there, but I didn't set up the process, the follow-up cadence, the check-ins, the milestones. I didn't do that for other people. Cause in my head, like I put those dominoes up there. I know it's going to happen, but I mm. struggle. And this is something that I'm working on. I, I had an executive coach uh, last year, like help me suss out my, two major weaknesses and communication and delegation were those two things. So we're working as a company to do that. But if we figure out process or if I ultimately have to bring in somebody that's better at delegating process and setting up process, uh, I think the sky's the limit for our company, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there right now. The, the process has been, uh, it needs work. <laughs> No, no, of course. I mean, it's a part of your, it's part of your growth and your company's growth. And I'm sure you will, you know, you'll come across a lot of things that, that you will feel is deficient within the company and within yourself. But I like what you said about the center of excellence or, uh, or the standard of excellence that you would like your team members to come with. And I think that's great because a lot of people do a lot of things in their life, not because they've had hope in themselves, because someone else have had hope in them. And especially when it comes from a leader or when it comes from someone with authority or superior, it has a huge effect on that person. And a leader, it, it is their duty to ensure that they follow through with that promise because it's going to make a huge difference to their life. You mentioned about it's a startup company, people on startup wages. Pretty much they're like volunteers, and the heart of a volunteer can never be underestimated. Right. They've given their life and soul to you. And now as a leader, actually much better word is mentor, you've got to make sure that they achieve what they have envisioned your company to be. Or they thought that this company, this leader can give me something that I can't get anywhere else. That's a huge responsibility, huge responsibility. And sometimes in the hurry of building a company, managing people, uh, being a dreamer, we forget that. We forget that there are people around me who needs hope. And I think true, true success comes there. That's that's in incredible, incredibly true, and you definitely can't lose sight of that. I think there's um, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, I don't know if he coined the term or whatever, but the the chief heart officer at his company is just like focusing on people and not like calling it HR or human resources, just like chief heart 
officer. I think that's definitely a good spin on it because you do need to care about your your people from inception to exit, you know, and having a culture around that is very important. And I know I need to make a concerted effort on it because uh, from some of the things I've said to you here, understandably, I'm not a overly emotional person and I don't get like flustered or frustrated or or tired or disappointed or like as, as I'm going through things, but those are all emotions. And there's a much wider range of emotions that every single person goes through, not even on the, the arc of their entire career, not even in your, their position with you, not even in the quarter, in the month, throughout the day, they all have these arc of emotions that are happening to them that's pulling them up and down, up and down and up and down. And having a culture where number one, that it's you know openly expressed and you understand that people have, you know, emotions and feelings and you're you're taking care of their emotions feelings and also their aspirations for career and happiness and self-actualization that has to be a concerted effort from uh, the company and for me a concerted effort because i don't think that way so i have to like go outside of my normal it's very easy to say oh well i think like this or i feel this way about this so everybody must right and i know it's that's definitely not the case so i have to make a constant constant effort to Uh, be cognizant that not many people uh, think the same way or feel the same way, I should say, not think. You're a very honest man. How do you handle people who are smarter than you? I hire you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My question was was actually, how do you handle people smarter than you and they are your employees? Does it challenge you? Do you become possessive? about your ideas versus their ideas? How do you go through that dynamics? So it's a very interesting question. And this also came up in our meeting yesterday because I said I want everyone to take initiative, take the reins, don't ask permission, right? So part of that is having trust in their ability to execute on things. But I also almost only want to hire people smarter than me, at least particularly in their area of expertise. I I want to rely on people and their expertise. And uh, one of the early books that I read in college was Good to Great, and it talked about hiring people that you don't need to manage, essentially. And that's always the goal for me. So if I feel a person is smarter than me and knows better than me in, in many realms, then that's the type of person I want to. But even then, generally speaking, you know, uh, I think most most people should want to have the smartest people in the room in your company. And if you bring them into your company, but then you're only going to challenge their uh, assertions and intelligence and thoughts, then you're just bringing contention into the company. Bring them into the company with the idea that, yes, you may have. So I, I describe myself as, extremely, extremely opinionated. I have an opinion on everything. Like you want to put that button over there and make it light blue. I want to put it over there and make it a slightly darker blue and move it 14 pixels to the left. Like I'm extremely opinionated on that with the same understanding that I have very little ego about any of it. So the smart, I want this, whoever's listening to this podcast, if you are a super genius in anything, it could be colors, Come talk to me and I will hire you in some way, shape or form. I want to work with the smartest people on the planet for sure. I have a lot of questions just from that answer, but perhaps for another podcast, maybe a year from now. Um, I'm happy to do it. (laughs) 
the the last question i have is uh what have you learned from life so far and what advice do you have for everyone out there whether they are established entrepreneurs budding entrepreneurs or just a common person well i've i've learned a lot trust yourself uh, and and trust your ability to accomplish things and you know, believe in your own thoughts and iterate on your own thoughts you know don't take your the first thing that you think of and say and don't question it question your own assumptions uh, but you know believe in yourself and I, I think if you think of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish as this long winding road you're not going to get off of it and just just keep going keep going keep going um, unless you're in the face of data that tells you whatever you're doing is not going to work over a long period of time i've le- i've learned so much I- i'd say for the first you know 10 years or so of my professional and entrepreneurial career there wasn't enough learning and it was mainly because it was a constant progression up a ladder so it was like oh well yeah i heard that i should do this or maybe i should do that I should do this but look what i did and look where it got me right so there was uh, a lot of that and it wasn't even egotistical about it it was just no what i thought would work ended up working or what i wanted to do ended up working um but when you look back now there's like 18 things that oh well that was actually probably not the right move and maybe i should have spent a little bit more time considering the counter arguments for it which is something i do and i did do back then as well like if i think like i said i mentioned if i think of something i think it's good i think of the counter arguments immediately before i proceed but that's what it is okay i figured it out for myself right there so (laughs) really looking at and this is something that i was not doing and i still don't do all that well but i'm getting better at it so i would look at decisions in the micro instead of in the macro right so i was making all these small decisions micro 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 and if you look at any one of them individually you say oh well that that does make sense at least to me that's why i did that and why i did this but when i look back the biggest failure of decisions wasn't any of the micro decisions it was not looking at it in the macro so when i go back and i look at everything that happened in the first you know 10 years or so it was the macro decisions that were failures, not the micro decisions. So if I had to redo that, it would be, okay, yes, this is there and that's that domino and that's there, but you should look at the big, big, big picture there. But in the last five years of my professional career, again, I mentioned that I laid everything out, started looking at these things as hobbies or professions or small businesses or big businesses. And I started thinking about the macro and I started thinking about the long term. And I think that's, honestly, that's probably almost 100% attributable to going from, and these were good businesses that I were running. They were getting into the millions of dollars of revenue, multiple of them, but this is a different ball game. And this is the ball game that I always wanted to play. And it was looking at the macro that got me there. So that would be another piece of advice. Any singular decision may be correct, but you look at that in the context or in the lens of, what it is you want to do in the macro. So maybe other people already do that, uh, but it's definitely something that I failed on doing and only learned that in the in retrospect. Wonderful. Uh, dear listeners, if you love the personality of Nash, you will definitely love the personality of his product, Undock. Yes. <laughs> you can get this app from your 
from your app store. So make sure that you give it a try. I've been trying it o- over the last two weeks and I absolutely love it. And I think it's got huge potential. I wish you all the very best in its uh, continued success, uh, not just your success and the company, but your your team as well, who's putting, who are putting their heart and soul into this into this product. And I assure you, in in you know, within the next twelve months, it'll be a product that's widely used across the world. So, for our listeners, the website is undock.com, and you can also follow Nash on Twitter, and his handle is at Nash Theory. Yep, I'm Nash Theory on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, on Clubhouse, I'm just Nash, though. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, and I'm really, really looking forward to hearing more and more about you and and your company. I'll be the first one to say, "Well done." So make sure you have those Twitter posts going. Oh, uh, thank you very much, Manoj. This is a wonderful, tremendous experience. And you're actually really good at asking questions, thoughtful questions. I appreciate it. And we will chat again soon.